0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, we're going to really primarily focus on verse 24, but I want to read uh, beginning verse 22 to, to get the context, the setting of, of what we're dealing with today. And uh, a couple of years back we went through Hebrews as a book. Uh, and some of you remember that long journey through Hebrews. Um, and when I went back to look to see what I had, uh, how I had dealt with this passage, uh, it, it kind of worked out perfectly because when I dealt with this section, um, when we were working through Hebrews, I really did not focus a lot on verse 24. I focused on the surrounding verses of it. And so even if you were here for our Hebrews journey, um, today will be some uh, different, newer uh, information, I think, from the scriptures for you uh, as we go back. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. This is, a, this is immersed in a section of, of Hebrews 12 where the writer is really just calling upon the reader to listen to God. To hear the voice of God and to, uh, to get them to understand the importance of acknowledging God and what He has done for us. And He says this uh, in, in contrast to the previous verses where He talks about that they came to a, a mountain that uh, had fire and darkness and gloom and they, they had to shrink back under God's presence and so forth. He says this beginning in verse 22 Now you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. And you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. We have this comparison contrast here in verse 24 of this this blood that he calls it the sprinkled blood. Some of your translations say things like the blood of sprinkling, but it's a contrast comparison between this blood that Jesus offered and the blood of Abel. And so if you're unfamiliar with Abel or the story, I want to just kind of bring that as a background today before we get too far into this. Um, What is the significance of Abel in the Bible in this passage? Abel was of course one of two boys born to Adam and Eve, the other one being Cain, and in Genesis 4 verse 4 it tells us that Abel as a as a sheep herder brought the first fruits, the best portions of his sheep of his flock before the Lord. And it says the Lord accepted his gift. So long before we get into uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and this, this instituting of this sacrificial system in the Old Testament, long before that, they began to bring offerings before the Lord. And there's no, there's no understanding here from the Scripture that Cain or Abel were bringing these offerings as offerings for sin or offerings for atonement, but that they were simply uh, almost like a, an honoring of God with these. And so the Lord accepts Abel and his gift. Cain, on the other hand, who was one who tended to the fields, he brings also a portion of his harvest, but he brings it rather haphazardly. Doesn't choose the choicest, doesn't choose the best, just sort of if you, if you want to envision it this way, it's like he's going to, uh, to go to offer these things to the Lord and he just kind of pulls what he can as he's going and just kind of throws it uh, at the feet of the Lord symbolically. And the Lord does not accept Cain's offering. This makes Cain angry, and he ends up killing his brother. And in Genesis 4.10, the Lord says this to Cain, "'What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground.'" If you've grown up in church or if you've been in church a while in your adult life, you've likely heard that Abel's blood cried out for vengeance or for revenge for his death. Yet in Genesis 4.10, it doesn't state anything of that nature. It simply says, the Lord simply says, your brother's blood cries out for me from the ground. So where do we get this idea that Abel's blood is crying out for vengeance? Well, we get it really throughout the remainder of the Scriptures. When you get into Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers and you get into all these various social and civil laws that that God requires of Israel, there are countless places in those three books where if a righteous person's blood was shed, there had to be some sort of retribution. There had to be some sort of vengeance taken to make up for that person's murder, all the way to Revelation 6, 9 through 11, with the picture that's painted in heaven in Revelation 6 is the souls of the martyrs, of those who have given their life for the Lord, in Revelation 6, they cry out to the Lord for vengeance for their death. And so for centuries, this was the standard way of understanding Hebrews 12, 24, and even Genesis four ten that Abel's blood, though it did not explicitly state it in Genesis 4, but Abel's blood cried out for vengeance for his murder by his brother. Now, in the New Living Translation, which I read from, it specifically states that. I'm going to read it again. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, into the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. Largely, your translations probably do not say specifically that it cried, that his blood cried out for vengeance. So why does a a translation such as the New Living Translation add this? Well, because again, for centuries, the standard understanding was Abel's blood cried out for that. But lately, in the last hundred or so years, there have been those who tried to say, no, what 1224 means is it's pointing back to just Abel's sacrifices, just his offerings. If you want to flip over a page or two to your left to Hebrews 11.4 as an example, The author of Hebrews says there, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of his faith. And so lately there has been uh, discussion that, well, what 12.24 really means is that Jesus' sacrifice or the the offering of Jesus of himself on the cross is compared to 11.4, where it's talking about Abel's sacrificial offering, not the blood of Abel himself. And therefore, this is the comparison that's going on in 12.24. The difficulty here with that is this. In 11.4, it clearly speaks of Abel's sacrifice or his offerings or his gifts. But in 12.24, the author clearly shifts to this idea of blood. There, there's, no, there's no comparison between 11.4 and 12.24 that it's the blood of Abel's sacrifices or the blood of the animals that Abel, Abel brought. But that is this comparison of blood that was offered up from Jesus in comparison to Abel. And so it's best to understand this in the way that it's stated. That Jesus' blood speaks a better word, it speaks better things than the shed blood of Abel. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we go on. So the argument of 1224 is really this. Jesus, as the sole mediator of this new covenant, willingly went to the cross willingly shed of his blood, whereas Abel's blood was spilt unwillingly. Jesus' blood speaks of forgiveness, it speaks of mercy, it speaks of grace. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. Jesus' blood is an acquittal of guilt, a dismissal of guilt on all who believe in him by faith and are called his sons and daughters. Abel's blood pronounced guilt. It was the evidence that showed Cain guilty. Jesus' blood is the evidence that shows all who believe in him by faith innocent. And so there's this huge contrast here between these two ideas of shed blood. And Jesus' blood stands for us as a defense. In Revelation 12.10, um, Satan is called the one who accuses the brothers and sisters day and night before God. We know that in the, old story, in the Old Testament story of Job, he, he comes before the Lord. Have you considered Job? And he begins to name off all that. He only follows you because of this, right? It's an accusation that's brought against Job. And so what stands before or between us and the accuser, what stands between us and the one who wants to uh, tear us down, even to ourselves personally, but also tear us down before the Lord is the blood of Jesus. Because, as the great high priest, he is the one who offered the atonement. Hebrews 8 through 11 it is just this this chapter after chapter after chapter of this development here by the author of Hebrews that Jesus serves as the greater high priest of a new covenant that surpasses the old covenant. Jesus himself said that in Luke's gospel when he records the last supper he says this beginning in verse 20 after supper he Jesus took another cup of wine and said this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Over and over and over again in Hebrews, specifically in 8 through 11, it's emphasized that Jesus is this mediator of this new covenant. And his shed blood is greater than the sacrificial blood that was offered once a year, not to take away sin, but simply to cover sin. His shed blood is greater than the blood of Abel and so it speaks a better word it speaks of better things Jesus blood speaks of forgiveness of acceptance of 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 of, uh, redemption where Abel's blood largely cries out guilt and vengeance In Hebrews 12, 24, we also have that little phrase that specifically links these two, and it is that phrase, to the sprinkled blood, or again, in some of your translations, the blood that was sprinkled, or the blood that was, or the sprinkling of blood. This is one of those areas where, as Gentiles, as non-Jews, we have to do some digging. To the Jewish audience that the writer of Hebrews wrote to, they would have certainly heard the idea of sprinkled blood, and their ears would have perked up. This is why. Multiple places in the Old Testament, but I'm just going to give you two of the the most well-known, most likely. In Exodus 24, Israel accepts the Lord's covenant that Moses has given them. And it says this in Exodus 24, 7 and 8. Moses sacrifices these animals... And he took the book of the covenant, read it aloud again to the people. And again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. So there's this covenant. The Lord says, here's what you're supposed to do. They say, here's what we're going to do. We agree. And the blood seals it. Verse 8, then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it or sprinkled it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Aren't you glad that on a weekly basis I'm not up here sprinkling blood over you? I'm glad. But this is what happened. This was a sign that they confirmed that covenant with God. In Leviticus 16, 14 and 15, as God gives them instructions for the high priest and the the Day of Atonement, and here it's Aaron, of course, that's doing this in Leviticus 16, it says then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the blood carry its blood behind the inner curtain to the holy of holies then he will sprinkle the goat, the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it just as he had done with the bull's blood and through this process he will purify the most holy place and the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. So just two places and a large number of places in the Old Testament, but just get the picture here. The sprinkling of blood was applied to the people of Israel, and the sprinkling of blood was applied to the most holy places where they would go and offer their praises, their prayers before God through the high priest. And the blood cleansed, the blood forgave, The blood did away with their sin, did away with their rebellion. And so it indicated an agreement of covenant and it indicated the effectiveness of the high priest's work. So in this new covenant that Jesus said, again in Luke 22, this is the blood of the new covenant. My blood shed for you. In the new covenant, we no longer have blood sprinkled on us no longer have blood being applied to the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant but there is a spiritual sprinkling that takes place in 1st peter 1 and 2 peter is writing to the exiles and he says that you have been cleansed by or you have been sprinkled by the blood of jesus it is the same understanding there in First Peter one and two that is here in twelve twenty four. That it is the sprinkled blood that cleanses us, that restores us, that affirms the covenant that we have in Christ by faith. But here is really kind of the most important point for us today, and why I chose this passage. Look again at verse twenty four. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks which speaks. Our our focus this month has been on understanding the blueprint for hearing the voice of God. And here what the author of Hebrews writes inspired by the spirit is that the blood of Christ speaks. It's, it's interesting and important to note that here, this word that is translated speaks is a present tense word, which means it's not something that was done once, and it's not something that was done in the past, and it's not something that only had a short shelf life. It is that His blood, even still today, speaks. His blood, for those of us who are found in Christ, speaks forgiveness, it speaks acceptance. It speaks redemption. This is the idea that John carries forth in his letter in 1 John 1, verses 5 through 9, if you want to pay attention to this. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and we now declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing truth. But if we're living in the light of God, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, present tense, from all sin. Going on, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, John writes that letter decades after Jesus has died and resurrected. He writes that letter decades after that moment of the cross on Golgotha, and yet he writes in the same manner as the writer of Hebrews writes that the blood of Jesus is still cleansing, it is still speaking, it is still active. Where the sprinkled blood of the Old Testament worked once, Jesus' blood works continually. And so as we prepare to remember today through taking of the elements and through having our moment of time together, I want us to to get this truth. We've talked about the various ways God speaks this month through the scriptures. Here is a way that Jesus' blood speaks. It speaks of your forgiveness, my forgiveness. It speaks of our redemption. It speaks of our acceptance to God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We, we sometimes have this, this uh, cultural conception that once a person comes to Christ, they should never ever sin at all, and we should strive not to sin. <laughs> but Paul writes in Romans 7, he says, What I want to do, I don't do, and what I, what I don't want to do, I do. And he attributes that combative scenario in his life to one thing in verse 17 of Romans 7. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me that he paints this this very realistic picture that as we come to Christ, we have this new nature that's given to us. We have this indwelling Holy Spirit, but it is in combat. It is at war with our fleshly, sinful nature. And so this is why it's important that Christ's blood still speaks. Because when I'm in that battle and you're in that battle of, I don't want to do this, but I do it. I want to do this, but I don't. And when we lose that battle, Christ's blood speaks. His blood speaks forgiveness. When you and I lose that battle, his blood speaks redemption. When you and I lose that battle, his blood still speaks acceptance before God based on what Jesus has done and not on what you and I have or have not done. It's, it's quite possibly the most important mathematical equation that you could ever learn in your life an empty cross and an empty tomb equals full lives for those who believe and so today as we take the elements today as we remember i want you to consider the power of hebrews 12 24 that the blood of christ speaks i want you to consider the power of 1 john one five through nine that the blood of christ speaks in his cleansing and his forgiving of us And I want you to take some time today to reflect on that. I want you to reflect on the continual speaking of Christ's blood over your life, which speaks of forgiveness, which speaks of redemption, which speaks of acceptance. I already led you through this before in our prayer time, but perhaps you need Christ's blood to speak forgiveness over you in confession and repentance. Perhaps you need his blood to speak over you in a reminder of your acceptance before God, not because of anything you've done, not because of any heritage, not because of any tradition, but because of Jesus' work on the cross. That you just take some time today, ask the Holy Spirit of God to make this present and real in your life. That the blood of Christ speaks still today. Speaks over you, speaks over me. For he is not a dead Savior, he is a living Savior. And the very blood that, thro- that went through his veins upon his resurrection was the very blood that was shed on the cross. Speaking forgiveness, speaking acceptance, speaking redemption. His blood, which speaks a better word. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, instead of vengeance. Where Abel's blood implied guilt, Christ's blood gives innocence oh that we would let his blood speak over us today in this time thanks for listening if you have any thoughts questions or prayer concerns please email us at pvcfrankfurt@gmail.com. at gmail.com